welcome to the Album Nerds Podcast with your hosts, Andy, Todd, and Dude. Oh yeah, it's Album Nerds time. You got Dude here, Andy and Don are here with me. Andy. Dude. Are you ready to almost rock? <laughs> We're so close, 1962, but not quite there yet. I'm just curious, uh, you know, do, do you fellas uh, mash potato? Oh, I can do the twist. Like we did last summer? Yeah. God. Don, how you doing, man? Uh, I'm, I'm good. Getting, uh, getting ready to hop in the, the, the time machine, the DeLorean. Great Scott! <laughs> <laughs> All right, so yes, this is the Elf Nerds Podcast. We got a great show for you. We're talking about three albums, as always. We'll be answering a question. We'll be spinning the wheel of musical destiny to find out what kind of albums we'll be talking about next time. But this week, as Andy alluded to, we're speaking about albums from the year 1962. That's what I'm talking about! In 1962, John Glenn became the first man to orbit the Earth. An oral polio vaccine was released. Uh, it was the year of the Cuban Missile Crisis, the death of Marilyn Monroe. Uh, Spider-Man made his debut in Amazing Fantasy number 15, I guess was the comic book. And the first Taco Bell was opened in Downey, California. Yo quiero Taco Bell. <laughs> So that's uh, 1962. It was also an interesting year uh, for music, and each of us is going to present an album from 1962. Ah, uh, yes, 1962. When that came up on the wheel, there was a moment of dread. I mean, it could have been <laughs> the 50s as well. Yeah. I, you know, this is a this is a period sort of in between where you had your Elvis breakout, your Chuck Berry, Little Richard, all that stuff going on, and then people kind of got used to it, and then like. For me, I'm waiting for 1964, 65 when the British invasion and all that stuff happens. Uh, what about you guys? I was going into this. What did you think about the music of 62? Yeah, I also had some concerns. Um, luckily, I had kind of jazz and blues to fall back on. So there's some good stuff going on in those genres. But the pop and rock space is not really not my jam yet. It's getting there. You can hear elements of cool things to come i mentioned a couple records i almost picked out holland wolf had a really good self-titled album from 62 that i was considering i was close on that one too that was a pretty nice record the uh, empty the racking chair album i think it's called Mm -hmm. yep so that was cool and a couple other jazz records but i also wanted to mention uh kind of a pop record that i almost was fucking with uh arthur alexander presents you better move on it was a pretty pretty enjoyable kind of like pop soul record from that year. So just put those out there in case you're looking for something else from the year. Done. I think I like this era of music more than, than you guys do. Maybe it's just, you know, because I, I grew up, you know, riding in the car, listening to oldies radio. So, you know, a lot of this stuff kind of has a, a place in my heart. Um, but I was concerned that it, you know, it wasn't a great era for LPs, you know, so I, I, you still had a, I think a marketplace that was very focused uh, on singles finding uh, an album you know that was good all the way through was was a struggle uh, one thing i should mention we did cover an album from 1962 uh, a few weeks ago that that ray charles modern sounds and country and western music and that happened to be one of the the better selling records of of that year don that was a great point that album format was not fully established i mean frank sinatra was doing it and i thought about him i thought about uh Jackie Wilson. I thought about a few things like that, but yeah, uh, 
that was a challenge. I mean, so many Johnny Cash records are out during that time, but most of them were compilations of songs from other recordings, and they just kept repackaging and repackaging and repackaging. So instead of talking about how hard it was to find albums, why don't we talk about the three that we did find? You choo-choo-choose me? All right, it's time to get jazzy, boys. Going back to December of 1962, talking about Dexter Gordon and his classic hard bop jazz album entitled Go! Exclamation point. Uh, we are going to play the opening cut entitled Cheesecake. Mm. Alright, so Go! is Dexter Gordon's 17th, 18th, depending on who you ask, uh, studio album where he was the leader. He is the man you heard on tenor saxophone right there. He hails from Los Angeles, California. Um, he's known for being kind of an early pioneer in the previous era of jazz, which was the like bebop era in the 40s and 50s. He's right up there with like greats like Charlie Parker and Disby Gillespie, who you may have heard of. He was a pretty interesting guy. He was uh, six foot six tall. Uh, he's known for his big kind of resonating sound. He also uh, was Oscar nominated for his uh, role in the film Round Midnight, which was about jazz musicians. Yeah. So what did you guys think of Go? Uh, well, the, the three words I chose to describe the album were bright, confident, and uh, emotional. You know, as I've said before, I... I don't know much about jazz. And in fact, I, I really only know the albums we've, we've talked about on the show. So all I can really do is kind of contrast it, uh, with, with those other albums. It, it felt more accessible to me than the, the Coltrane album we did, uh, Giant Steps. You know, it was, and it was more like straightforward than the, um, the Herbie Hancock we did, uh, Maiden Voyage. Um, and it just had like a, a brighter sound, I think, than the, the Sonny Rollins re record we did, which was, um, I think a few years, uh, before that. But yeah, you know, I mean, it just really, uh, you know, just a, a real vibrant sound. I think even the ballads, um, just were really cut through. Um, so yeah, um, you know, definitely, uh, you know, another jazz record for me to, uh, get into. Nice. I think you're totally on point there in terms of being a little bit more accessible and a little bit more full and yeah, bright is a good word for it, Tom. Yeah, I totally um, agree with that point. The three words I used to describe this album were sax with a voice. As I've mentioned before, a lot of the sax-driven jazz, these albums, I hear the sax is the voice. I hear words a little bit. I'm a lyric guy. I need lyrics in my music. So while listening to this album, I was hearing lyrics in my head or making them up like uh, cheesecake, maybe a song about cheesecake, right? <laughs> but yes, it's very accessible. It's very warm. And I think that's part of why I hear that voice in there. It makes me want to sing. Do you, uh, do you want to sing for us the cheesecake song? I absolutely do not want to sing the cheesecake song, but anyone else, uh, it's up for grabs. Cheesecake. That is, that is not the song I heard in my head. Not even close. I'll just keep that for myself and my wife. All in all, uh, very enjoyable. I hadn't heard of Dexter Gordon or listened to any of his stuff as I poked through jazz albums, and this is a good one. Yeah, you know, Dexter was new to me as well, but I think, as Don said, this is a pretty accessible record to get into if you're not familiar with him. 
it's done by some of the mainstays at, at Blue Note, kind of the infamous jazz label at the time and even today, produced by Alfred Lyon. He produced pretty much every notable Blue Note record and recorded by Rudy Van Gelder, who also recorded pretty much every notable Blue Note record. So it's in the kind of the upper echelon of, of this period of, of their recordings, I would say. Okay, let's play one of the other kind of tracks that are on this record. It's a little bit more mournful, a little more emotional, a little more smoky sounding uh, saxophone here. It's a little bit of, I guess I'll hang my tears out to dry. It's romantic. That reminded me a lot of Don't Get Around Much Anymore. Uh, the The feeling's kind of there too, so... Uh, I think that's what I mean when I kept putting lyrics. I was stretching, reaching for lyrics as I listened to these songs because they're very emotive. Yeah, yeah. Unlike some jazz, I mean, there's there's recognizable melodies, I think. Yeah, totally. So that song is not an original. It would be covered by quite a few people over the years, uh, one of which is actually uh, Frank Sinatra, who we talked about in the show recently. I think a few years later, he would cover this song. So yeah, there is definitely a lyrical quality to this jazz, I think you could say. Um, one thing that Dexter was known for was his use for inserting musical quotes. I'll do that with the quote fingers into a song. So he'll be playing along, you know, maybe gets to his solo in a, in a track. Instead of maybe playing another iteration on that solo, he'll just insert like a well-known snip from a song, like uh, maybe like the happy birthday melody or something like that. Um, he does that. So he was sampling. He was sampling before sampling was even a thing. Yes. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> They're kind of, he was a very, he supposedly was a very uh, jovial, fun guy on stage. Like he liked to interact with the audience. So I assume he was kind of doing this as like to kind of get a response out of people. And there's a few moments on the record where like things you recognize just kind of like peek in and out, I guess. And one of those is on the last track on the record, three o'clock in the morning. See if you can recognize this little snippet. Don, I can name that tune <laughs> in one note. One note? You can name that? Come on. Dun. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, guys. All right, what, what, what is that? I heard a little take me out to the ball game. Hey, very nice. Very nice. Yeah, so there's little snippets like that. There's a couple other moments on the record where they kind of build up to things and maybe don't uh, quite play the what you'd expect them, expecting them to. So, okay, keep you on your toes. But all in all, I think it's a pretty... Pretty accessible record. My, my five words, but I don't think I ever said, were uh, big swing and bop. Because I think that there really is a lot of energy and like, emotion, like you were saying. Yeah. I haven't seen a, a big <laughs> swing and bop since the last time I was in the locker room at the gym. Hey, yo. <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah, well, this record was inaugurated into the Library of Congress's National Recording Registry just a couple of years back. Uh, so it's... Forever cemented in our uh, in our history, I guess, or the annals of time. <laughs> I prefer annals of time, personally. <laughs> <laughs> I get some anoff on that. <laughs> uh, yeah, so this Dexter Gordon album was great. I really enjoyed it. All six tracks. Uh, my favorite, I think, was Love for Sale, which was uh, a Cole Porter tune, apparently. But yeah, I mean, 1962, great year for jazz. You can hear it here. Dexter Gordon is a virtuoso, so it was a pleasure to listen to. Thank you very much, Andy. It was my pleasure. Thank you, uh, Dexter Gordon, and your fabulous 1962 album, Go. Excuse me. 
I'd like to ask you a few questions. It is now time on the program when we dare to ask ourselves a question. 1962, let's set the scene. Don, you mentioned at the top of the show that Taco Bell was founded in 1962, so that brings fast food to mind. Fast food has become a cornerstone of American cuisine, for better or worse. The question is, what's your favorite spot? Or what are your best memories of fast food? Fast food, uh, you know, I'm trying to stay away from it lately, but growing up, that was like a pretty big thing. Excited about going to uh, getting some Arby's after church, maybe on a Sunday. Ooh, fancy. <laughs> the, the great American tradition, right? Yeah, there was an Arby's right around the corner from our church, and we got the meats. <laughs> Celebrate the Sabbath with a, was it a big and cheesy or a beef? <laughs> <laughs> There was the the big Montana and the beef and cheddar. Oh, don't forget the curly fries was my was my jam. Oh yeah, I like the home style fries myself, but uh, don't forget the chicken bacon Swiss, the CBS. That oh, wow, was you awesome. got the acronyms going. Jeez. Oh yeah. Uh, well, there was a short period of time I worked for, at Arby's. So. Did you really? I did not know that. Wow. Yeah, yeah, and I wow. <laughs> I had never eaten at an Arby's up to that point, and once I started working there, I ate all of Arby's. Arby's <laughs> <laughs> is forever a part of me. Those preservatives in there, I, I think that probably does live with me forever. I was a crew person of the year at McDonald's. Of the year, Don? Wow. And I was a vegetarian. Probably the only crew person of the year uh, vegetarian ever. <laughs> yeah, but when, whenever you'd sell a burger, you'd squirt ketchup all over the people and call them murderers, right? <laughs> <laughs> Meat is murder, bitch. Wow, <laughs> that went a little further than I expected. <laughs> well, I, you know, like Andy, I mean, I try to uh, avoid fast food whenever I can, but I still have a, a weakness for it. You know, as a, as a vegetarian, you know, my options are, are kind of limited. So I, you know, I hit places like Subway a lot. I also like uh, Burger King because they have the, the Impossible Whopper. Oh, is that, is that any good? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's excellent. Hmm. Uh, maybe there'll be a future sponsor. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Yes, we've been holding out for that, that big oh, corporate yeah. Burger King money. The BK Bucks, here they come. I can <laughs> hear the cha-chings. <laughs> Did you uh, have any other fast food experiences, dude? Yeah, besides working at fast food joints, I liked eating fast food in high school in particular. I'm a, At this age, I try to avoid it for the most part, but uh, I enjoy it once in a while. But really, as in childhood, you know, going to McDonald's or Burger King every so often – Maybe a few few times a year. It was really special. Like I remember the Star Wars glasses when the Star Wars movies were out. Like there were these, uh, you'd go order a soda at Burger King and it'd come with a Star Wars glass with Chewbacca on it, whatever. So that kind of stuff. It was more the magic of it as a kid than uh, anything that I think about now. So have you noticed they phased out Ronald McDonald? Really? Yeah, I haven't. Is the uh, is the whole crew yeah. like Grimace and the the Hamburglar all all gone? Uh, the Hamburglar was kind of a bad example for kids, right? I mean, he was or stealing hamburgers from people. So I'm not sure. Yeah, I haven't seen him lately. No Fry Guys. Fry Those guys. things are creepy, dude. So good riddance. But I think all in all, it just was they they probably got in trouble for marketing potentially unhealthy food to kids. But all right, so how about you out there? Fast food, what do you think? Do you have a favorite spot? Do you have some great memories? Let us know over at the Album Nerds Discord. That's albumnerds.com slash discord. 
Okay, so the album from 1962 uh, I'm bringing to the table is uh, Roy Orbison uh, with his third album. It's called Crying, released in January 1962. Now, this album is basically bookended by two huge hits for Roy, um, which were released before the, the album came out. Uh, let's start with uh, the, the first cut on the album and title track, Crying. You couldn't tell that I So the, the three words I use to describe the album are only the lonely. Now, that is a Roy Orbison hit that does not appear on this album. But yeah, I, I do feel like Roy Orbison was kind of a, a champion for the lonely. You know, most of his songs are, I guess, like un, unlike other male rock and roll artists at the time, um, they're very vulnerable and they're, they're often sad. They're, they're very dramatic. Before I go on, what, what do you guys uh, what do you guys think about this Roy Orbison record? My three words are first emo guy. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> my my first. <laughs> He's kind of emo. He's right. My three words are voice, lyrics, and emotion. And you're, what you said, Don, was exactly what I had been thinking about the vulnerability, uh, the honesty in the lyrics. The songwriting's great. I mean, I have some issues with probably more the time period than anything else in terms of the strings and the background singers kind of ruining some of the songs yeah. for me. But that's that's a stylistic time period thing, and, and that's not Roy's fault. Oh, and one other thing. <laughs> when I was a kid, I hated him. <laughs> <laughs> Why? <laughs> so there were a lot of artists that I was aware of as a child, uh, Jose Feliciano, Stevie Wonder, Ray Charles, that wore sunglasses, Ronnie Millsap, and they were sight impaired. And I saw him on some show or something, some variety show, and he took his glasses off. And I was like, that guy's not blind. He's a liar. Because <laughs> <So, laughs> yes. yeah. I'd, I'd never, at that time, people wearing sunglasses inside, it was, that was usually the only reason. Yeah. So yeah, I had, a, I had a beef with him for a long time. No, I, I really thought he was blind for the majority of my life, I would say. <laughs> Just for that reason. Uh, my three words were, not only three words, but a phrase, keep on crying, please don't dance. I really love the sad songs. I think, I mean, there's a lot of like just classics on this record. For the most part, they work really well. You can get past the kind of, as dude was saying, the kind of cheesy accompaniments there. But uh, the moments that really stuck out to me as being kind of cringy, and I wish they weren't on this record because I would have given it a big thumbs up otherwise. We're just like the more, I guess, dancey, upbeat tracks, like Dance, <laughs> Lana and Loneliness, that little track, that little run of tracks there, it was like, oh my gosh, why are you trying to sound like, uh, you know, like do like this pop, go into the, go into the Shake Shack or whatever kind of like sound. Just, ugh. Shooby dooby dooby. I, yeah. I actually liked those songs because it was a break yeah. from the blubbering. You know, and, and it, he was kind of a Elvis of the people sort of a, and that was one of the other things I thought about saying is you're no Elvis because I feel like that's what he was, they were trying to kind of package him as, and that's why they had songs like Dance. Yeah. He does sound like Elvis a little bit at times. I mean, would you, what do you think, Don? You're more the 
expected. Yeah, well, um, I mean, he actually, you know, he was part of that that Sun Records crew. He came in a little later, but, you know, he was signed to, to Sun Records, you know, along with uh, Elvis and Johnny Cash and Carl Perkins. His early recordings, they're much more in like the rockabilly flavor. Uh, and then when he moved on to Monument Records, you know, they went, I guess, in more of a, a pop direction. Uh, and they really tried to showcase his his vocals. Yeah, but I think he... I mean, I think he was aware that, you know, he did not have the, the charisma of an Elvis Presley. You know, he was, if you ever see Roy Orbison perform, I mean, he barely moves, right? And there's, and he's expressionless because he's got the, you know, the giant glasses and, you know, and he's just dressed in black. So he has that aura of, of mystery. Any insight into the glasses? Was it a performance anxiety sort of thing? What, what I read was he actually does have poor eyesight. So he wore like giant glasses anyway, but he was on tour with with the Beatles and he you know forgot his glasses or left them somewhere so all he had were these like prescription giant sunglass things uh, and he ended up wearing them at, that night at the sh- at the show and I guess he just he he liked it and he he did suffer from from stage fright and so I I, I do believe that the sunglasses helped helped in that way as well okay well let's uh, let's do the uh, the other big hit uh, that's at the end of uh, end of the album and we actually did uh, another version of this song when we talked about uh, Jeff Lynn uh, so this is the the ending parts of uh, running scared. I think that's the exact moment we played on the Jeff Lynn yeah. version of that. <laughs> yeah. So that that last note there is, I, I guess it's like a high A, and you know that's not falsetto. So he's really really reaching for that. And, he fucking kills yeah. it, man. His voice sounds yeah. immaculate on this record. Yeah. Uh, another interesting thing about that song and a lot of Roy Orbison songs is that it doesn't follow that that traditional pop song structure. You know, where it's like verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge. Running scared, you know. There's there's no chorus, you know. It just keeps, you know, building or is it crescendoing, um, you know, to to the end. Uh, same with crying, you know. It's not really a, a chorus to that one as well. So, you know, I, I think he was an an innovative songwriter. All but three of the songs on this album uh, were were co-written with um, Joe Melson. Well, he did steal that song from Nazareth. Love hurts. Yeah. So that was kind of lame. Yeah, and I, I actually I, I like his version of of Love Hurts. I think the so that is a cover that was written by uh, uh, Boudlow Bryant, right, who's a kind of a famous country uh, songwriter. Uh, but the Everly Brothers recorded Love Hurts first, uh, and I actually did spend some time listening to that. Uh, very different, uh, and so what what Roy Orbison did with it, I think, kind of paved the way for the the Nazareth version that we that we know today. Mm. Yeah. I thought that song was awesome. I thought I'm probably my favorite on the record. It was so heartbreaking. <laughs> just like, feel like he's just getting dragged through the mud. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> Pleasure in your pain, Roy. <laughs> uh, let's hear uh, Let's Make a Memory. Oh, yeah, that, yeah, that's the part. Oh, man. I don't know, man. I like that side of him. I think it was kind of uh, like you got to balance it. You can't have 36 minutes of Love Hurts. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. but That's like who he is. I mean, this I don't is pop, know. This is pop music, man. This is pop music. I don't know. I just can't picture him saying any of those things in reality. 
Like, he seems like much more of a somber, downtrodden guy. Anyway. Well, if you don't like this uh, sort of this early 1960s pop style, if you listen to his album, uh, Mystery Girl, which, you know, which was released uh, right around the time that he that he passed away, it's it's produced by Jeff Lynne. And it's, uh, it, you know, that's that's a really good record with with more uh, modern production. Check it out. So that is uh, Roy Orbison uh, with his uh, January 1962 release, Crying. And now a word from our sponsor, us. This is Friendship. Pure, unadulterated friendship. Are you a music fan? Love the album format? Need to share your musical tastes? Join us on the Album Nerds Discord. AlbumNerds.com slash Discord to talk with like-minded nerds, suggest show topics, and to find out what's happening next. And also, uh, you know, to vote for the, uh, the ANOFs, right? The Album Nerds Hall of Fame. We still have that, that trio record out there that's, that's dangling, waiting to, to, to find out its, its fate. So again, albumnerds.com slash discord. All right. So it's my turn. We're going with Robert Zimmerman. Zim. Otherwise known as Bob Dylan. <laughs> and the reason, uh, you know, just a little, Little fun fact for you, that little clip we were playing was from the Traveling Wilburys, where Roy Orbison and Bob Dylan were both members. Aww. It was accidental, but uh, once it happened, it happened. It's magic. If only we could have gotten George Harrison on here. <laughs> All right, Sorry. so uh, Bob Dylan's debut album, recorded November 20th and 22nd of 1961, released March of 1962, we're going to start off with talking New York. New York town. People going down to the ground. Buildings going up to the sky. So this is young Bobby at his sort of rawest and most vulnerable, I think. The three words I used to describe this album, aggressive, bluesy folk. I had I had listened to this album before a long time ago, but didn't really absorb it at all. And unlike his second album, The Free Will and Bob Dylan, which was kind of his really big breakout with Blowing in the Wind and, and songs like that, uh, he only wrote two of the tracks on this album. And a lot of it is old folk standards that he rearranged and blues songs that he rearranged, and he has a really gravelly delivery, really aggressive on some of these songs. Not the Bob Dylan I became accustomed to, but you can hear the rock and roll rebel in him. I'd read that he had played in rock bands as a teenager, but went to folk music because of the ability to communicate, and you really use your words, not do wop shoo wop wop type stuff, but more meaningful communication through music. So, uh, he managed to eventually bring all those worlds together. Guys, this early version of Bob, what do we think? Uh, my three words were nuggets of gold and some poo-too. Um, wow. You really, you really stretch it stretch on these, these words, man. three words. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> and some poo-too is one word. Yep, that's one word. <laughs> Generally, I thought this was pretty good. Uh, I'm glad you played Talk in New York. I think that is by far the... The strongest point of the, of the record and really my only critique i mean a lot of the covers are, are cool and i really enjoyed hearing these kind of versions of these songs that we've you know heard quite a few times um my only critique would be like you kind of alluded to dude was like his voice is all over the map on this record sometimes it's the kind of nasally bob dylan we'd expect other times it's like very 
loud and angry sounding and sometimes he sounds like he's singing with like a thick accent and sometimes he's just like there's one song uh freight train blues where he just fucking goes for it and i don't i don't think it works particularly well but good for him for for trying okay well the the three words i used to describe the album were gives zero folks yeah, and I don't really mean folks. I wanted to use the, the other F word, but I'm I'm uh, more appropriate than Andy. <laughs> but yeah, you're not you're not fucking with it, are you? <laughs> God, I you know I could have sworn I had listened to this this record before, but I obviously had not because I was really blown away by it. It's like he went in the studio just played as hard as he could on his guitar, just sung just in, in this, you know, real, you know, as you said, kind of gravelly way. And he's just, you know, blowing hard into that harmonica and, and he got out of there, you know, so, so it's just completely unpretentious experience. And it's just one man uh, in a studio. I also picture him being like a, just a real dick as well. Uh, <laughs> like, because I, I was, I, I was reading like, you know, John Hammond would, would ask him to, um, you know, to do another take and he'd be like, no, nah, I can't do that one again, whatever. Um, <laughs> I love all these these old folk covers. I mean, we think of Bob Dylan as a as a folk artist, but I, I think this is maybe the the close the closest he comes to at least recorded, um, you know, to true folk. You know, because the spirit of folk is. I mean, you just have these songs that just get passed on, and they're sort of like living things that that continuously change. You know, and and the stuff that comes later, you know, from him is is more you know pop oriented, sort of protesty sounding. But this is just just, I don't know, he's taking these these old classics and just um, firing them out. And it's, uh, yeah, I was really, you know, just blown away by it. Of course, I have to listen to it uh, alone because uh, Bob Dylan is not allowed in my my house. My, my wife cannot handle his voice. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, maybe you should just start talking to her like this and see what she thinks. <laughs> Take her out for a super romantic, expensive dinner and then just talk that way the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> I want the soup. <laughs> uh, that's good stuff. Surprisingly good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, talking New York there is about his experience in, in Greenwich Village and playing the folk scene there and little coffee houses and stuff. But the voice, Andy, that you mentioned, he de from what I've read, he did affectations similar to Woody Guthrie on some of his early songs like that. You know, he was kind of taking on that persona, I think, to a certain extent. One of the covers, Baby Let Me Follow You Down. I'm going to play a little bit of that. Baby, let me follow you down. Baby, let me follow you down. Well, I do anything in this God Almighty world. So what I really liked about that was down. this kind of sounded like that forlorn Bob Dylan that kind of comes later. Mm -hmm. uh, later on in the early 70s, really. But yeah, all these all these different voices he's using. Uh, one of the cool parts about that song at the beginning, he actually is talking about Rick Von Schmidt, who did the arrangement, a blues guitar player that did the arrangement for this traditional folk song. And there was like, as Don alluded to, there was a lot of, that's what folk music was all about, the reinterpretation and continuing the journey with that song. It continues to shift and change as each artist puts their own spin on it. And uh, I just thought that was... That was a pretty song. I really enjoyed that one. The second song written by him on this was Song to Woody. Woody Guthrie at that time was, I believe, ill. 
and he really uh, admired him, so he wrote this song to Woody. We'll play a little bit from that one. Let's see what we think. With the dust and a gone with the wind. I'm leaving tomorrow, but I could leave today. Now, in that song, the We Come With the Dust and We Go With the Wind is in uh, Woody Guthrie's songs, Pastures of Plenty, which was about displaced people in the dust storms in Oklahoma in the 1930s, uh, the Great Depression era. So, definitely some hero worship there, which I think was a very important part of Bob Dylan's DNA as he was, I feel like he was kind of still in the womb here, getting ready to be fully born, you know? Yeah. It's almost like it's almost like he had to get this out of his system or something before he could kind of uh, go on and do his own th- own thing. It's like he's paying homage to the, the folk tradition. Totally, yeah. You can really kind of almost see him like working through these different ideas and on maybe sides of his you know, rock persona and kind of throughout their album here. So at times, like on that last song, his voice sounds awesome. I think it's really that like classic Dylan sound. But yeah, other times he's really trying out other stuff. And I'm glad he, I'm glad he stuck with the stuff that, that seems to work best here. Yeah. Um, John Hammond is the producer of this and signed him to Columbia Records. One of the funny things I read was the uh, cover where he looks like a little baby man. He's got the budgiest cheeks. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so adorable. They... <laughs> Columbia Records for the for the album cover they they flipped the image so that his guitar wouldn't cover the Columbia label that appears in the upper left of all the Columbia Records at the time. How interesting! Of course they did. Yeah, <laughs> that's when it was just really starting when they when record the, the big record labels started really seeing the the dollar signs in their eyes and to i mean but good i'm glad they did because that's what brought us the artists that we that we love and the music we love so yeah so that was early bob robert zimmerman with his very first album go check it out is really 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 interesting and not not what my ears were expecting but uh one of my favorites from 1962 in that this was the beginning of something big and and uh that's what I appreciated most about this record. Check it out. So I could wax poetic all day about the merits of Bob Dylan coming out of the chrysalis and becoming a butterfly. <laughs> but why don't we talk a little bit about our experience here with these albums from 1962. Where were you at the end of this? I know where we were at the beginning, kind of like, oh, man, where were we at the end? <laughs> I mean, there are interesting things happening. They kind of seem to be under the surface, in my opinion. Um, maybe wouldn't really come to a head until later in the decade. Yeah, so transitional period. I don't know if I would pick this one to go back to if I had a time machine necessarily, but yeah, there is some cool blues and jazz like we talked about. Yeah, uh, I mean, I think the choices we made were were interesting. I mean, I think jazz, uh, you know, under the surface anyway, was was going strong a, a, in this time period. But you have Roy Orbison, who's kind of that that old school uh, rock and roll, who's basically going to be phased out in the next few years. And you have Bob Dylan, you know, coming on the scene, who's, you know, going to take music, uh, music forward. Um, so, you know, I think we made great choices. I, you know, I still think it's true that people hadn't really embraced the, the LP yet. Even though I love the Roy Orbison album, it, it's, you know, it's a little uneven, but we, you know, we're just a, a couple of years away from the real LP revolution. <laughs> Wow, that was exactly what I was going to say. So fuck this. <laughs> we all feel the same. <laughs> well, we often talk about foundations on this show, foundations of different forms of music, different genres. And I, although it was hard to find 
something I really loved as a full album. Like, there's plenty of stuff. There's the Beach Boys, their first album. Again, very uneven. You know, some great Beach Boys songs and then some like eek sort of songs to me. They hadn't come into their own yet. And I think that's kind of what, uh, again, what Don was alluding to is we were, we're, we were in this weird period where some stuff was kind of coming to a close and other things were, were growing from those previous forms of music. So yeah, I, I learned to appreciate a little bit more this time period for its evolution that was happening. So I will go back. Probably a lot of blues though. A lot of good blues stuff. And that's one to grow on. All right, boys and girls. It's everyone's favorite time. Gather around the old Wheel of Musical Destiny here. Uh, if you remember previously on the Wheel of Musical Destiny, we have been searching high and low for a name for our AI bot that, that suits her charming personality. We have a few interesting ideas kicking around on the Discord and Elbner's website. So if you want to get your last minute votes in, there's still a little bit of a window open to do so. So albumnerds.com and albumnerds.com slash discord. Let us know what should we name the AI bot that is going to pick this next topic on our show. I'm your density. I mean, your destiny. Your musical destiny will once again be taking you on a journey through time. You must explore albums from the year 2000. These years are We keep getting years. Up. Oh, 2000. Okay. Oh boy. I got some, some new metal and uh, oh, some God. great pop music. <laughs> the, the best thing that came from the year 2000 was in the year 2000. <laughs> Conan O'Brien, man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> What's your favorite album from the year 2000? What else are you listening to? Let us know. Join fellow album nerds on Discord at albumnerds.com slash Discord. You can email us at podcast at albumnerds.com or leave a voicemail at 585-210-2454. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Album Nerds. And if you'd like to support the show, do so via PayPal at albumnerds.com slash support or leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. All right, folks. Thanks for listening to the Album Nerds podcast once again. And we'll see you in the year 2000 next week. Bye-bye. It's been nice talking to you. That was pretty bad. It was. I don't think we should keep that in the show. You guys do a great Andy, job. it's your turn. <laughs> Can't really do it. Can't do it justice. We can do Roy Orbison instead. Bye. No. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> like stepping on your balls, man. <laughs> oh, oh boy. Dad, you don't hold back, man. I appreciate that about you. Yeah. <laughs>